Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is episode 40, Act 2, Russell Granite, Striving Toward Belonging, recorded February 19th, 2021. So damn tired of waiting on a perfect A plus B. The one size fits all prudent kids all screaming about irrevocability. Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches, and fight our own way free. Cause the rules don't lie, but they don't apply to people like you and me. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now Now they say it's all decided All divided, all laid out And the pushcart man with a three-part plan Can't understand what you're shouting about But when the past they plow The lives allowed are the only roads you can see Just remember the walls were built to fall For people like you and me Let's start it up now Let's start it up now Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now. Hey, hey, TA audience. Thanks for listening and thanks for being a part of our global community. Invite your peeps, colleagues, and friends to join our community and subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or any podcast player. Watch video episodes on our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This past week, a young, white, identifying male chose to enter three different spas and open fire on patrons and workers, murdering eight people, six of which were Asian women. Trauma compounds trauma. Violent acts committed by white people, and in this case, a white male, are racially motivated. I will not debate the question of if this was a hate crime. It is. I stand in solidarity with our Asian American and Pacific Islander individuals and community. In moments like this, I, I don't always have the, the, the words. Um, so uh, I thought I'd share a quote that resonated with me um, here um, in, a, in a segment called How Did We Get Here? Amber Ruffin, uh, after uh, recounting the history of anti-Asian racism in the U.S., said, quote, I'd like to talk a minute about what we're not going to do. What we're not going to do is disrespect the lives that were lost this week by acting like words don't matter. What we're not going to do is act like Asian hate doesn't run deep in this country. America does not get to hide from its racist past or present. And what we're not going to do is act like white supremacy isn't at the root of all of this. Contrary to everything this country was built on, white men don't get to decide who lives and who dies. White people don't get to decide our humanity. 
Dismantling white supremacy starts with white people admitting they have a big problem. And black people will continue to stand in solidarity with our Asian family because white supremacy is killing us, all of us. Last summer, when people from all over were protesting and saying, protect black women, black lives matter. Seeing that felt really great. And I want that feeling for you. So just to be extra explicit, we hate this. It's not right. Your feelings are valid. You deserve to feel safe. You deserve to be safe. We love you. End quote. So to round out our conversation, Russell shares his thoughts on the teaching artist profession today, advocating for change within the field at the moment. Uh, And we discuss building an EDI ecosystem within the New 42 where we work together. Here is the conclusion of episode 40, act two, striving toward belonging. You have this like an enormous historical knowledge of of teaching artistry. This this podcast is called Teaching Artistry, so let's get into that. Um, and I'm curious about how how would you um, categorize the shift that like you talked about? Most people got into uh, back then. Most people got into uh, being a teaching artist um, as a way to supplement their income and to still be able to be a practicing artist. Uh, folks now I find choose to be a teaching artist but I'm just curious because I feel like right especially right now there's so much advocacy um, there's so much you know some sort of research that is happening or data that is being collected and findings that are being shared about the efficacy of this work so I'm just curious from a more like from a workplace perspective I guess uh, or a, a workforce perspective you know how is what shifts have you seen um, what shifts do you think that something like either action research or other sort of advocacy tools do you think could be helpful in this moment for artists? What I appreciated 30 years ago was the level of artistry that was being introduced to kids. And kids have a lot of teachers. They don't have a lot of artists in their lives. And so I was concerned in like 2000, 2005, when there was a real focus in the year 2000, maybe between the Center for Arts Education funding and the Department of Education's Project Arts, every school for the first time in the history of the New York City Department of Education had an arts budget. It was a per capita allotment for every kid in the system. It was never, it was under um, uh, Rudy Cruz leadership. And it was the, the, the frustrating part is it was never designated as arts education, it was always in the budget as arts education money, but it wasn't mandated arts education money. So you had principals out there who were, you know, buying books with that, you know, no, it's such a large system. It's hard to hold people accountable, but, but it was this amazing time in our industry. There was so much work. There was, there was so much work for teaching artists, for arts organizations. We were desperate and needed the cultural community to be a part of this movement. Um, Higher, you know, dance, music, theater, and visual arts teacher were being hired. It was just a a really interesting time in our field. But what I observed because of the spotlight on the work was that teaching artists were becoming more teacher than artist. And they, and I thought the pendulum was swinging the wrong way. And I, and that concerned me. 
Um, it's not, and, and teaching artistry is not a 50-50 job. It's not, you're not 50% a teacher and 50% an artist. It, it'll never be that. And on any given day, that changes. There are days as a teaching artist, you go in and it's a lot about, let's say facilitation or unpacking. And it may be 70% of that, that workshop, you are acting as a traditional teacher. But at the core, I was concerned that I still think a teaching artist is more of an artist than a teacher. And some might disagree with me. And I think it, I think in those, those days, there was such a focus on everyone being successful and, and wanting to keep the work and hang on to the work that it, I think that it became too homogenized. And there was something kind of scrappy about the artists in 30 years ago that went in and just mesmerized their ki the kids by their art form. And, and, and again, there was a downside to that too, which is things like classroom management you know, there, or, or child development, like that's wildly inappropriate. You don't do that with a second grade class. You know? So I do think it's all for the good in that the, we're be, be, teaching artistry becoming more professional is all for, I, I get that. And, I'm, and I totally support that. I just don't want us to send the message that being a teaching artist means you have to be teachery. Like I think that, and I don't know what even that word means, but I, I, just, I just want teaching artists to be, to, rem to remember who they are as an artist. I mean, I, that, that this, I totally agree. And I, I think that the, 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 the reason why I think the new victory is what it is, is because both, both me and Lindsay and Edie who, who hired both of us um, were about artists because, you know, the, the model was about artists, professional artists work on stage. Right. And so we needed folks who had expertise in those same art forms in order to help create really sizzly and interesting ways into, or entry points into um, experiencing that piece of work as a, as an audience member. And it wasn't about preparing them, but really about engaging them in the same kinds of themes and art forms so that it helps us all then make deeper connections to what we're seeing. Um, and so we have, you know, we have a very rigorous uh, recruitment process for artists, but it always is like you have to be a practicing artist in some way. It doesn't mean that you're on, you know, like practicing to us can mean a variety of things. But the fact is that you have you are making art in, and, and have expertise within the art form that you're saying you have. And and you may have a lot of teaching experience and you could have very little and it wouldn't actually matter because it really is like, are you coming in with some sort of cool, weird, amazing, sparky way of getting young people to think deeply about what they're about to see. Right. And I'm not sure how you teach that. Right. Exactly. I think you can teach exactly. how to write a lesson plan. Right. Like I think you can figure out <laughs> um, one of, one of the great influences on my career and certainly on me professionally is uh, Maxine Green, who was the philosopher in residence at Lincoln Center. And uh, I think a great, just a great human being. And, you know, really, you know, I miss her and I miss not having her voice in the field. But she said to me that, you know, she believed that teaching artistry was the highest form of art making because it required the artist to not only be an artist, but also be a translator of the art. And she said, that's a very high level of interaction. And, and therefore teaching artistry is in fact the highest level of art making. Wow. Yes, Maxine. Yes. Um, let's, let's segue just slightly. So we haven't really talked about, um, I'll give a little background that I met you in 2000, let's say 2003. Um, and, and then somewhere in the, in the aughts and into the, to the tens, I don't know, the teens, um, you, we hired you as a, as a, um, as a consultant for us. I, I think when you had, 
I think it might have been before you you uh, became a consultant, but definitely as a consultant. Um, and you you really sparked a whole lot of new thing thinking for us as a as an ensemble as staff. Um, and, you know, and then from that experience of like partnering with you to prepare for those sessions, I felt like a clear mentorship relationship was building, which was very exciting to me. Um, and I talk, I have talked to, on the show about mentors, so we could go there, but I, we don't have time for that. <laughs> um, I'm, where I'm going to is that we have worked together in many ways, but now we work together like very every specifically day. <laughs> every day. I see you every day. Um, which, and, and you know what I used to love, I used to love oh, is the fact that, you know, we had very, we had very busy schedules. So it would always be so exciting when I would see you like in the elevator or in the lobby or on the street, like, Hey, <laughs> I remember calling your name at a, a face to face. You know, I've, I've, I, I don't know that anyone else can say that, you know, I've had almost every role at that conference uh, and from, you know, I was the auctioneer. I've been a keynote. I've done the opening. I've done what, you know, so I feel like I have, I, I grew up at face to face. And I remember one year at the auction, you won something. And I remember having to shout your name, Courtney Bonney. It's very funny. I remember going to to face to face my first time, I think was in when it was in the fall of two, 2002 or 2001. I can't remember. And, um, I remember being floored by how generous people were in terms of sharing. And I'd come from such other types of industries where I just didn't see that before. Um, uh, so let's talk a little bit about new 42. I talk about it all the time here <laughs> from my perspective, of course, but I'm curious, um, you know, you've worked many places. What, what, um, and we're in this moment. So how are you, leading which you know i i have my own stories about i could talk about you i say very highly lovely things about you but i'm curious from your perspective like this is hard this is a hard time and i find you doing this with grace so i'm just curious like how is this from your perspective um you know running a, an institution making business choices that impact a lot of people um thinking really about like how how are your values pulled into this how like i want to know everything <laughs> It's hard. It, it, this is a hard time, and it's the hardest in my career. You know, I've never. I can't think of. I mean, there have been moments certainly throughout my career that have been challenging, but not sustained challenge like this has been. I mean, you know, we're going on a year if you look at the pandemic as an example as as part of the challenge. Um, I well, I, one thing it's interesting when I was at. Um, Lincoln Center, I was being, I, I, there was an interview or something. And, you know, I, I was very proud of the work that we created at Lincoln Center Education. And in the interview, someone said, you know, this is a pretty good perch for you, Russell. You know, do you, is this, is this your, your final stop? And um, I said, no, I don't think so. I don't, you know, I, I think there's, there's a job that I don't think will ever become available. Um, but there is an institution that I, you know, I have a great amount of respect for and often use as a model of excellence. Um, even though I was at Lincoln Center, I was using uh, this institution as the as the example of certainly around um, uh, the rep on our stages and the the teaching. I mean, I, I, I always thought the work at, with the teaching artists was you know bar none the best in the, in the world. Um, and and I, I didn't share with the reporter what I was thinking, but it was New Forty Two. So it, it was and, and that and I and I'm reminded of that. So wherever I. I would have been working over the last year, it would have been difficult, right? There, so there, 
so that that's a given. This is a difficult time in our history. Um, so I wake up feeling very fortunate that my family has their health. I wake up feeling very fortunate that I get to and continue to get to work in a field that I love. And so that's a pretty strong way to wake up every day. And, and you know, it's, there's, I've seen a lot <laughs> over the last 30 years, and I certainly haven't seen necessarily what's coming our way now, but I, I think that's a, not to make light of the, of the challenges that we face, because we, there are huge um, financial challenges ahead of us. And as the leader of the institution, I, I feel great pressure to ensure employment um, of our staff and of our teaching artists, um, especially our teaching artists, where if I know many of them work at multiple organizations, I think in some cases we may be the only organization still able to employ teaching artists. Um, and so that's a, that's a big, uh, for me, that's what I spend a lot of my time thinking about. And if I link it to the work that we're doing around our anti-racism work, um, that that's, I feel like that is part of my contribution, that part of how I can help in, in, in everything we're going through is by employing people, is by having opportunities for people to, uh, to share their work and develop their work. Um, so yes, it's been very difficult, but I am constantly reminded of the privilege and benefit that I have. I feel exactly the same. I, it, it has never, it's only dawned, like I've only been worried once, maybe twice, but most, I mean, I'm worried about everything all the time, but I mean about m myself, like I, I feel the same. Like I work so hard because I care so much and because I'm also really proud of where I work and who I get to work with and who we work for, meaning the, the, the folks that we're doing this work for. And the, uh, I, I have a lot of anxiety about the, the diminished work that we have to offer right now um, to our teaching artists, but trying to maintain a level of community with them, uh, a level of, uh, of engagement that uh, these artists are, they are bar none. You are correct. The best in the world. They really are. And they make, they make us as an institution be better <laughs> in all senses of that word. <laughs> Um, but I, I do think that you, you mentioned it's the anti-racism work that we're doing. So I would love to just ta share a little bit about, you know, the fact that, um, you know, it's historically and currently new 42 is a predominantly white led institution. Um, and we are taking some real concrete actions, which is a question that I ask a lot of people on the, we can't, uh, go back. So we're not going to go back. Right. So, uh, and we, ha and I think, you know, we've had some really interesting conversations just this week. We meet several times a week to talk about this and then we do a lot of work on our, you know, and we're, we're engaged on in a lot of ways, but can you talk a little bit about how we have, uh, you know, some of the things that we have done, um, that we've implemented under your leadership, um, really tr striving towards being as fiercely anti-racist as we can, um, and building into the, um, into the fabric of the new 42 anti-racism and liberatory practices. Sure. I mean, it's, it, uh, it is a team group effort. Like it is a, it is a company-wide initiative and the colleagues that I get to see on a regular basis, largely 
Um, the executive team, as you said, Courtney, we, you know, in some cases we meet daily. So, I mean, we were meeting daily, you know, March, April, May, you know, morning, noon, and night when, when we first closed. Um, so this is a, I've always approached this work as a collaborative effort. And the other piece of it that has stayed with me from the very beginning um, is that we're in it for the long haul, that this is not a short, there's not a, it's not a remedy. Like we're not trying to fix something in a short amount of time. And I, and I've been proud of the fact that we have looked at it as an ongoing commitment, not, not a short-term solution. Mm -hmm. And I think that, and that's a mindset. And I think that that mindset has really helped us. I think for some, maybe we haven't moved fast enough or swift enough, but I stand behind the fact that the work we've done is solid and long-term. And when I say the work, it's, you know, leadership at the institution is everything from, you know, I think leaders are individuals, right? So I think it's our board. I think it's our executive staff. I think it's our staff. I think it's our teaching artists. I think it's our youth core. Everyone should be empowered to be the leader that they want to be. And in this process, everyone has had a voice. So on a practical level, we, as an example, at the board level, we did away with our, our minimum gift to, to financial contribution to sit on the board, which enables us to, to rethink the board. Um, I think that's an important message to send. Um, on the staff level, we all read the We See You White American Theater document, and everyone on the staff went through a series of prompts that included, you know, what in here, you know, validate something that you've been thinking and feeling, what, were there any surprises, what should be a priority for New 42, if we could do anything, what, you know, what, you know, how do we move this forward? And we read and, and culled through all of that. I mean, everyone had a voice and that led us to a goals document um, that is now leading us to an action document. Um, we are looking at how we hire, where we hire, how we recruit, what our job descriptions sound like, um, who gets them, how do they get them. Uh, we're looking at what's on our stages, uh, who's coming through our doors. So uh, it's a, it, it is an all-encompassing company-wide initiative that I get to be a part of. And, I, and, and my commitment has been all along that we are, this is the, it's not a finite amount of time. This is new 42 and we will make mistakes. Like this is, it's not perfect, nor should it be perfect. Um, but this is what new, we're not gonna go back to what new 42 looked like, felt like in you know, April of last year, you know, March, April. Um, because we've also learned incredible things about our work. I mean, even, it, what we produce, how we're reaching people, you know, access and equity is, is a goal of the institution. It's certainly a goal of mine. With our online content, you know, we're close to 800,000 views. You know, that's, we're not going to give that up. You know, why, we're reaching people in rural communities, in international communities, people who probably, you know, I don't know enough of the specific demographic, but the assumption that maybe they don't have access to the kind of art that we can offer to people who are local. You know, I look forward to just the evolution of this of this process, um, and that we have done it together. Can you just talk a little bit about the the um, EDI subcommittees because it is company wide, and then there's um, folks within the institution who are also volunteer volunteering to be a part of even deeper work. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about that? Sure. So we wanted the the organization to become a community of learners, and everyone who works at New Forty Two. Um, is asked to participate in this community of learning uh, um, idea, which is 
we will all uh, uh, potentially uh, be reading something that we all share and talk about. We might have speakers come in, we might do some self-reflection, but that everyone at New 42, regardless of your position, is a part of this learning community. Within that learning community are six subcommittees that were born out of the priorities from the We See You American, uh, White American Theater document. So we did that work. And then the subcommittees are based on seeing that work through. So the sub we have subcommittees that are looking at learning. So the learning across the institution. Um, we wanted a subcommittee looking at how are we holding ourselves accountable? You know, I don't think accountability should be coming out of my office. That's not the message that I want to send. So we're looking at how to, and, and accountable is not, you know, I think people think accountability is, is you know, a, a negative thing. It's not, it's just, you know, how can we help make this better? And are we, you know, keeping to our goals? Um, and we have an accessibility group. So there, there are groups that are doing a deep dive and there are groups of about 10 or so in each subcommittee. Um, and they have short and long-term. So, you know, a person will be on it for two years or for a year and they can rotate on and off. You can certainly go on it again. And it's not everyone in the staff. And I'm happy to report that um, everyone from the full-time administrative staff who wanted to serve on a subcommittee um, is now on a subcommittee. Uh, so, it, um, and, and this will, and we're working with an outside consultant, the Glasgow group. And, and so I think the work that we're doing internally, the work that we're doing with a consultant, work we're doing with our board, um, I, I think is a great composite of, of trying to move us in the right direction. I think that there's a part two in here to talk a little bit more about what are our learnings um, as we're de developing and on this journey, I'm sorry, developing our anti-racism practices and on this journey as an institution. Um, and there could be some fun, interesting ways to do, to go about that in future. Um, as we wind down, um, I have three last questions. I'm, I've been thinking about which ones, which one I should ask. Um, but I think the, so I, I think you're, you're very clever. So I think I can, I can combine two. So um, any last words and in those last words, I, I, you, you talked about this, about um, that we're in this for the long haul in so many ways. Right. And so I have asked this question, I continue to ask this question of myself, like what, what are we driving towards in terms of racial equity, in terms of a liberated world, and then more specifically, like for our world, <laughs> you know, what are, what do you think? Yeah, what are we driving towards? So I'm on this journey with you. And so what I say today might be different tomorrow and would have been different yesterday, right? So it's not... It is what I, I spend my time, a lot of my time thinking about. Um, I taught for a very long time at NYU after I graduated. And there was a, and the, and the course was about working with kids with disabilities in theater. And there was a, a section of the course where I had my students who were largely going to be theater teachers or teaching artists. That, I mean, I would say that was maybe administrators, but you know, largely they were all gonna be in working with kids in some capacity. And I remember thinking it was very important that as a teacher, that you define for yourself your feelings towards other people. Like, what, are, are you in touch with what you actually think of and, 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 and uh, of, of difference? And so there was an exercise that I, I asked them to participate in where I gave them um, slips of paper and on the paper it said acceptance, tolerance, and belonging. And I had them do sort of a frozen image of those three words. And then I asked them to put it 
in order. If, and, and I didn't give them any reason. Like I didn't say uh, from, you know, good to bad or not. Like I, I just said, what order would these go in? And it was always interesting to me that tolerance somehow was where people were headed. It was, you know, they wanted to be accepted and they wanted to belong and then they wanted tolerance. And it was always an important piece because I thought, does no, is anyone else not want to be tolerated? Like I, I, I had no, um, it, it, was a, it, was a, it was a useful activity because I think it, it, it highlighted that language is important and that where are we going? And I think the, I think the order is, if tolerance is even in there, but I think you know, if it's tolerance, acceptance, whatever the order is for you personally, I think what we're moving towards is this idea of belonging. And that's what I hope this journey takes us on. I think you can define that in many different ways, but the definition of belonging is that you would be missed when you're gone. And that's what I wanna move towards personally. And that's what I wanna move towards this moving our society and our, and our professional and personal lives towards. I think those three words are worth looking at. And I think, how do we get to a sense of belonging? And that's what I hope this work leads us to. Russell, um, we could literally talk for another three hours, um, but I really appreciate your time. I feel like such a kindred spirit with you in, cer in certain ways. And I also feel like I learn a lot from you. I think that you learn a lot from me. You can say it. Yes. <laughs> um, but I, oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was going to say that what I've always, and you know, I've, we've known each other a long time in the different capacities, and I don't really think, and I could be wrong, but no. I don't think that our our friendship or our, our being good colleagues has changed much. Like I, I don't, in my mind, it is a continuum of where we were in 2003. Like I don't, I, I mean, you, I mean, I can say that because I'm in a different role, but I don't, I don't, I feel like we pick up the conversation where we left off, regardless of the roles that we're in. And, um, and the thing that I've always appreciated about you and what I've always observed about you is that you are who you are in every situation. And you don't see that a lot. And I'm, you know, one of the, I think the skills of theater training gave me is the skill of just observation. I think I observe people well. I think that is a skill that I can own. And I've always been impressed by your ability to be funny, to be self-deprecating, to be smart, to be all the things that you are in front of a board member, in front of a staff person, in front of a teacher, in front of a donor, you are authentically who you are. And I think that is such a gift. Uh, and I, I hope you acknowledge that and realize that. Well, thank you. I, I was I was trying to say that to you, but uh, <laughs> um, no, but seriously, I really, I really, I've been um, very excited to have this conversation. I think that um, I, I do honestly think that we could have another one of these and maybe it's a panel situation. I don't know that I think that there's a lot that we are carving out here that I think we are going to learn. Obviously we're going to learn a lot from, but I think others could too. And your voice in that I think is very powerful in a lot of ways. And, 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 you know, it could be challenged. It could be, you know, all those things, but you've got a team that also is in this. And, and when I say a team, I mean the whole new 42 team who are in this. And I think we're all, we are, I, I love that what you talked about in terms of belonging, right? That that's absolutely like that's all any of us want we don't want to be othered and that's part of the conversation that's happening is that the othering has has been met 
or, or happens through violence, through oppression, through microaggressions. And so trying to sh- shift that is about saying that we all belong here and we all need to recognize that. And that, that is a shift in mindset for many folks and, and including those of us who have been oppressed, right? Like there's just a shift in many, many ways. And I get really excited about the fact that I don't always know where I'm going. Um, I like the sort of messy messiness, but I also like to do it with people who are willing to go there with along with me. And I feel like that every, since I started working at the new 42, the, the reason why I came was because, or, sorry, the reason why I, I accepted the offer was because um, I felt like there was something that I could offer and get. And I continue to feel that way. Um, and that is really, really a special place. And I'm really excited to be able to continue this journey with you. You too. Thanks, Courtney. Thank you. Have a great day. Yes. <laughs> you too. I probably will see you like in a half hour. Probably will see you later. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Courtney. Thank you for listening to episode 40, act two of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body, Russell Granite, Striving Toward Belonging. Join us next time for a conversation with Felicia Rose Chavez. This podcast is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the creative content manager. Jono Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org and head to the pod shop at the top of the page for merch. Twitter us at TA underscore artistry, the gram at teaching artistry with cjb and now on youtube check out the teaching artistry with courtney j body channel and watch we can't go back like our page on facebook listen to us on soundcloud subscribe and rate us on apple podcasts and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life let's start it up now let's start it up now